0: Curse. Welcome to Hoosier Illusion, hosted by me, Neil Taflinger, and Ryan J. Downey, two grown up hardcore punks, longtime journalists, and longtime friends born and bred in Indianapolis, Indiana. After growing apart, we're reuniting to talk about who we were, who we are, and where we're going. Follow along as we navigate the rugged terrain of our mental landscapes, littered with pop culture, subculture, and the odd reference to Johnny Ringo, James Dean, Axl Rose, and other notable Hoosiers.
1: This episode picks right up after the previous episode, Lundgren Crucifixion, I Must Break Me. So if you haven't checked out that episode yet, please do so before digging into this one. They do stand independent of one another, but there's a nice little continuity that should enhance your listening experience as well. He So on the last episode, we started to get into this episode's topic, Take Your Dad to Therapy. And in that conversation, I referenced a lyric from the Nirvana song, Serve the Servants. What's interesting is that later in that song, there's a, there's a verse that says, As my bones grew, they did hurt. They hurt really bad. I tried hard to have a father, but instead I had a dad. I just want you to know that I don't hate you anymore. There's nothing I could say that I haven't thought before. So, yeah, stumbled into that Kobe nugget that seems an appropriate bridge from the last episode into this one. Yeah. Uh, When you first mentioned take your dad to therapy, obviously, (laughs) my uh, (laughs) Hoosier Illusion antenna sprung into action. I went, yes, let's talk about that. Uh, I'm assuming that that's either something you are going to do soon or have done already. What can you tell me about that?
0: Yeah, I, the the uniform reaction to when I when I tell people that I did that, the uniform reaction is Jesus. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'd been in therapy for a couple of years and. So much of what I was dealing with revolved around my own feelings about fatherhood, my relationship with my dad, what I realized as an adult I wanted from my dad when I was a kid or needed from my dad that I didn't get and couldn't communicate. You know, my, um, my, my changing understanding of my father as I moved through As I I was on the journey of fatherhood, you know, because being a dad, like everything else, being a dad is different depending on where you are. So, you know, being a dad of of a single infant boy was a very different experience than being the father of an infant girl who had a four-year-old sister and a a seven-year-old brother at the time. Like, and I, I joke with my kids, like my son's at the age now where he asks me questions like, who's your favorite or who do you love more? And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, which actually is, brings up an interesting story I can share. And what I told him was that it's, it's the wrong question to ask because it's that I love them differently and I have different relationships with them to the extent that I said, you have different fathers. It's the same guy, but my son has a different father than my middle daughter and my middle daughter has a different father than her younger sister because the moment that they came into this world, I was a specific person and our context is specific. So my son was an only child for almost three years he has a specific relationship with me because of that because of his personality because of my personality because of the experiences we've had together so I just told him like there's no point in having this conversation because you are always going to have a different relationship with me than your siblings and that's good like embrace that because you can you can look at your sisters and say well I don't get this or that it's like yeah they're looking at you and saying the same thing so it just accept the fact that they're that they're different. Obviously, fatherhood's a big thing to me. It came up a lot in therapy. I had a lot of lot of lot of anxiety around being a good dad, and a lot of feelings about fatherhood. I I'm a crier. Um, in adulthood, I I learned how to cry more easily. And
1: this is gonna sound like I'm kidding, but I'm totally serious when I say I'm jealous.
0: <laughs> well, the the joke now is that. And The the joke I tell is that I cry while watching Dog the Bounty Hunter, and it sounds (laughs) like a joke, but it's not, because years ago when I watched episodes of Dog the Bounty Hunter, he would get into issues of fatherhood with people, Mm. and he would talk about his own kids, and he would start crying. And I realized the reason he wears sunglasses – I think they even said this on an episode – the reason he wears sunglasses is because he doesn't want people to see him crying all the time. Mm. So – the so anytime there's like fatherhood content anywhere, movies, TV, books, newspaper articles, internet memes, whatever, like I'm just I'm I'm a wreck, gutted. So I was talking with my therapist, and I can't remember. She, I think she might have just thrown it out there. <clears throat> I mentioned that my dad was going to come for a visit, and she said, well, you know, why why don't you ask him to come in? And I said, "Um, okay. (laughs) So I was talking to him on the phone, and I said, hey, while you're in Indianapolis, because he lived out of state, still lives out of state. I said, while you're in Indianapolis, why don't you – or will you come to my therapy with me? Will you come to a therapy session? And you know, having been in therapy himself for almost my entire life, he said, sure. Um, And he's always been a big advocate of me being in therapy. It just took me – three or four attempts at it to actually figure out how to do it and realize that I, I wasn't too smart for it. So we went, we went and, uh, the therapist was just kind of asked some general questions and, and pretty quickly got to the, like got to the point of, you know, why did you want him here? And what do you want to accomplish in this hour? Mm hmm what i said i th- i think <laughs> memory serves was that i wanted to by the end of the hour i wanted it to be clear that i forgave him for whatever mistakes he made that i wanted to make sure that i didn't want him to feel bad i wanted him to forgive himself for anything he felt bad about from my childhood And that I wanted to have a relationship with him now that I wanted to just, I I didn't want any more jokes from him about being a bad dad. I didn't want any more sadness or resentment from me about, you know, once I figured out like what was at the bottom of my, my deep well of sadness had a lot to do with my relationship with him i I just wanted to be done with that, like I didn't want to live there anymore. I didn't want to fixate on people we weren't anymore I'm not nineteen eighty nine Neil and he's not nineteen eighty nine Neil's dad so let's let's live in the now and one of my big things is I need verbal affirmation, you know that's my thing i need i've always I've always wanted for whatever reason for people to tell me that I was good at something or that i had done a good job and my, my parents did a better job of that than their parents. And that's because their parents didn't do any of that. I think my dad at some point said that he's, did his dad never said he loved him? Like I might be, I might be talking on a turn, but like, but it was that kind of relationship. Like he's, he knew his parents loved him, but it wasn't something that they talked about. You know, his his great success as a father, and I and I, I do not say this flippantly, I say this sincerely, his great success as a father was not kicking the shit out of me on a regular basis. So I was spared the kind of trauma that he was processing, but because he was frozen, he couldn't engage with me the way I needed him to. So I froze in a different way. And my son, unfortunately, will probably freeze in his own way. And when he's an adult, we can unpack that shit. But hopefully it's a lot lower impact than than what my dad dealt with and what I'm dealing with. How old is your dad, roughly? Uh, early 70s now.
1: Mm. Yeah, my, my dad will be 80 uh, in just a couple of weeks after we're recording this. He doesn't seem 80. He doesn't, uh, the last time I saw him which was about two or three years ago. He he doesn't seem frail or, you know, he seems kind of the same way he always has. He's, he's a pretty healthy and spry 80 as much as you can be when you're 80. But yeah, I don't know what it is about our parents, the generation that came before them. But I would say and and maybe this speaks to ways that we've connected about my dad in in a way that is not flippant (laughs) and that i give him credit for not being much worse his dad you know my dad comes from a large irish catholic family he had the fact that my dad wasn't uh much worse than he could have been you know i think is is a credit to him also after Uh, being absent from the time I was four up until that period absent entirely so yeah I'm obviously that's all stuff to unpack and talk about more on on this and future episodes but I bring this up right now in relation to what you were saying about your dad and his father you know I don't know you know our dad's being roughly the same age what was it about that generation before them (laughs) It was so much worse you know it, it's all re- it's all relative right hashtag first world problems but yeah uh you know for whatever whatever struggles and trauma we dealt with with our own dads how much worse it was for them with with those guys and man i mean what were our great grandfathers like <laughs> like what the yeah. fuck you know
0: he, uh i think some of it was the great depression mm-hmm. um the yeah you know, I, I later later in my grandparents life lives I got some stories about my grandma when she was my god like junior high age maybe a little bit older she was she was sent off to work on a strawberry farm like in the summers, like she would go pick produce. And when she would come home, her dad would take all the money she earned because he wanted it, the family needed it, whatever. There was, at least in Southern Indiana during the Great Depression, there was a level of privation, of uh, desperation that most of us, even even in hard times don't really understand in this country you know bootstraps and all that bullshit because uh yeah we're just we're we're not living in, on the same plane as as a lot of the rest of our uh human brothers and sisters right now mm-hmm. but anyway, I think that hardened people um I think that was a trauma of its own kind you know poverty is trauma, and you know my by the time my dad was born, my grandma had already lost a son to uh, a doctor's mistake over, over anesthetizing him before a dental procedure. Oh, my God. So, yeah. So, so all of my living aunt – my aunt and my living uncles and my dad all grew up. In a haunted house, essentially, because Mm -hmm. their mom was still processing the trauma of losing her first son, Kenny Ray. So, my dad said that he, you know, basically everything he did was compared to Kenny Ray, who was the perfect dead baby. And, you know, Kenny Ray was the cutest, the smartest, the funniest, from what I can tell. Like, Kenny Ray could do no wrong because Kenny Ray wasn't around to do wrong anymore. So that was awful in its own way. And I think that, I think that my grandparents, I mean, this too, like the, whenever people talk about like how moral and wholesome the world used to be, I'll put it, I'll put it like this. My grandpa was 15 when he married my grandma and she was 16 and kenny ray their first child was born i think five months after they got married mm. so it's a pretty simple calculation there so they were children when they started having children and they they didn't have my oldest living uncle until uh god maybe nine years the math is fuzzy to me but i think maybe eight or nine years after kenny ray was born but my grandpa was a nurse in World War II and he was stationed in Scotland. And I think the way the way it worked was he came home from Scotland and Kenny Ray was alive and maybe my grandma was pregnant or got pregnant. He went to California and was going to be shipped off to the Pacific Theater. When the war ended, he came home, Kenny Ray was dead and James Lee was born. Wow. And my grandma was basically running a hair salon by herself uh, while this was happening. She didn't own it, but she was essentially running it uh, on behalf of the woman. So, so my grandma was a hard ass basically who'd been dealing with bullshit for her whole life and then lost a baby while she was by herself pregnant and running a business. And I think that, You know, that was her frozenness, you know, like, and I, i never knew her well enough to, to even guess what, what she did to escape. But that was the house that my dad was growing up in. So he and all my other aunts and uncles, I think they have their own methods of escape and they've all, uh, they've all addressed them or not in their own ways. But my dad addressed his, you know, as a child, and I think I benefited from it um like you said like it could have been worse um and i'm i'm glad i'm glad for a lot of stuff that he did and a lot of things i learned from him you know and i my therapist was always always confused that he was like my biggest issue but i was also constantly talking about him and quoting him like he was the most influential philosopher of my life uh and also the the source of my biggest hurt which actually makes perfect sense, but mm. so anyway, we're we're on the couch and you know, we're talking about this stuff and and full disclosure I might lose it while I'm trying to explain this. She asked him if he wanted to say anything to me. Like is there anything that he hadn't told me that he wanted to? And he said that he thought I was a good dad and that I was a better dad than he was. And the something just broke open in me at that point. And I, I'm not, I can't be positive. That's what he said. Because as soon as he said that I was a good dad, I completely fucking lost the plot. Um, You know, to, to keep using the clumsy metaphor of that, that well inside me, I felt like, I came rushing up closer to the top than I'd, I'd ever been. And aside from, aside from a, a bad spell where I was on no medication and then the wrong dosage, that was, that was pretty much the, the last major breakthrough I made in therapy. Um, where like, they were just magic words that seemed to, like you know, you know that thing in, in horror movies or paranormal movies where, you know, like there's there's a trunk or a cabinet that's like open and all of a sudden like a, a gust of wind comes in and like everything slams shut and there's, there's some otherworldly power like reorganizing things. Mm-hmm. I felt like that happened inside me, where like. I had the this shit that I was dealing with, and when he said that, like this, there was just this huge gust of wind that just like shut it all up. It was like, okay, you're done. Like you're done with that. You know, um, we can put that to bed now. It was it was exhausting, but it was huge relief. And I, it was like I've 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 never I I don't feel like I've ever connected with him the way I want to. And I think part of it is because he suffers or suffered from the same anxiety that I did about being a good dad. And, and that anxiety drove him to, to be distant from me. And maybe my sister, my sister, again, going back to the whole different relationships, my sister's relationship with my dad is completely different from mine to the extent that like it really is true, like we have different dads
1: say it's, it's exact same with uh my older brother and I, and to some extent the same yeah my 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 half brother my half sister, and my brother, <laughs> all four of us have a lot of overlaps and commonalities in our relationship to our dad, but certainly. Very yeah. different relationships. It's,
0: yeah, it's the, it's the multiverse of parenting.
1: <laughs> totally. So,
0: so I, I my dad was a high school teacher, and he, he did some counseling. Like, I, I think my dad was the teacher that kids knew they could talk about stuff with, whether or not he was actually their counselor. He kind of collected kids, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. there, was just, there was always, like, a crew of his kids that were around, and, like, I knew who they were, and like after college like he would help certain kids get cars he would you know help them with college stuff you know kids kids with parents who were like truly neglectful or fucked up in their own ways like my dad was like a surrogate in some ways to help kids with with stuff they were dealing with and i asked him one day i was like well, why why was it so much easier for you to invest in kids That you had it as students than it was to invest in me. And he said there was no risk in investing in his students because if they rejected him, it was no big deal. But if I rejected him, that would be crushing. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking heavy, right? So
1: it almost goes to that thing we've discussed before about you know, you don't reply to the long, detailed personal email that's meaningful to you because you're you're putting it off because it's so important and you got to yep. get to these 10 other short ones. I love you, you so much up, I
0: have to leave.
1: Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> and again, another big, important thing we have in common, you know, my dad got sober through Alcoholics Anonymous in the mid 80s and has has remained so ever since and when he reemerged in my life when I was in uh, elementary school and going into middle school you know by the time I was in high school and then into my adulthood he became uh, you know a counselor uh, he spoke at conferences and on panels and was very active in the recovery and treatment you know, in that ecosystem, in that that subculture, very big part of 12-step programs in Indiana and throughout the Midwest and often had, you know, these groups of adult men and, you know, young adults, you know, various ages that depended on him and that, that looked to him for guidance, that saw him as a surrogate father figure. And as you said, you know, people who had, experienced much rougher lives than he or I, but he was, you know, he was always a sponsor and, and, and had this network of, of people that credited him as a, you know, central figure in their recovery. And yeah, I had similar feelings where it was like, <laughs> well, you know, why do all of these strangers get so much of you? and you know your actual kids feel like we're getting so little
0: yeah well it's it's amanda talks to me not frequently but regularly about my impulse to do big things Mm -hmm. and the biggest thing i can do is to take care of my family like There's a lot of stuff that I can do to make my community better, make the world better, but none of it is really that valuable if my kids grow up not having a relationship with me or feeling like I always chose these abstract goals over them.
1: Yeah.
0: Woof. So, yeah, taking my dad to therapy was fucking great. And if you talk to your parents, And you think that would be productive, I recommend it. But I realize that there are a lot of people who are better off not interacting with their parents (laughs) and not including them in their mental health uh, journey. So do what's best for you.
1: And I will say, and again, uh, we're going to be unpacking all sorts of this stuff uh, for the duration of this podcast. So there's no need to feel like we have to rush through it now. But, you know, to my dad's credit, he certainly has worked to make amends with my brother and I, at least, you know, at various points over the years and certainly as part of that recovery program and so on. And I I have a really vivid memory of, as adults, my brother and I sitting in the car with him one night, I think I've told you about this before, and him, uh, you know, asking for our forgiveness for being absent and so on. So, you know, he gets all the credit in the world for, for trying, you know, in that, in that regard. And I think what's tougher, uh, for men in our culture, perhaps in general, and certainly us Irish Catholics, there's a difference between physical absence and emotional absence. And, you know, my dad was physically absent for a long time. And I think reckoning with that emotional absence, even once you've reappeared physically, is in many ways tougher. You know, than I mean all the credit in the world to every parent, moms and dads, and otherwise that show up. I mean, showing up is definitely the most important part. But you can you can be there without being present, and I think that's uh, hard work. For all of us. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think this might be a good place to wrap, take your dad to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> As we are emotionally and physically exhausted ourselves. Um, and, and yeah, and I, I can relate to something that you said earlier, too, about, you know, how are these the important figures in our lives, our fathers, so influential and inspirational and formative to us in so many good ways and bad. And I think that speaks to the multitude of nuances that exist in human beings. You know, it's really easy to cast people in our lives as heroes and villains. And, you know, it's something my daughter and I talk about a lot in storytelling you know something i mentioned to her maybe a year or two ago and then it's it's amazing watching her identify this for herself you know the best villains in stories tend to be the villains who believe they're the hero and i think once we outgrow if we can that idea of everyone being a hero or a villain you know that's that leads us to a better understanding of of our parents and what you know what they did or didn't do and in some cases yeah there are people who grew up with parents who are villains through and through Uh, but i think that that's i would i would guess that that's less and less than we may presume you know i think it's it's easier to cast different people whether it's an, an ex in a relationship or a bully in school or whatever as a as a hero or a villain where the the real answer is a lot messier and a lot harder to to navigate
0: yeah it's uh the <laughs> from the 90s on periodically there's you know records, zines, whatever, around the theme of, you know, all my heroes are dead. Mm -hmm. All my heroes are just people. Like, all my heroes (laughs) aren't heroes. They're just men and women. and, And if I put unreasonable expectations on somebody, that's my fault for putting unreasonable expectations on them. Right. The thing that still I still struggle with as a father is feeling like somebody else needs me to be in a Superman costume that doesn't fit me right and I shouldn't be wearing, but that's how they see me and that's what they need me to be. And I never live up to it. And that sucks. It really fucking sucks. Sometimes I can be great, but I'm never I'm never a superhero, so... Mm. I just, I hope that, uh, I hope that my kids, earlier than I was able to with my parents, can love me for who I am, uh, and not be disappointed in who I'm not. I think
1: what our kids need the most from us is us, you know, to be, uh, present and fully there and, we should give ourselves a break about our uh, our perfectionist tendencies and our need for some kind of restorative redemption of our own childhood traumas th- through the proxy of our kids. You know, I th- and I think that that's something for me anyway that I uh, I've done a lot better with in the last five or six years in in allowing myself the space to be my own kind of father for my kids without worrying about constantly making sure in every possible imaginable detail that things are better for them than they were for me they already are i've already accomplished that so i think i'm serving them better by taking a breath and trying to experience them for who they are and me for who i am and and it's not the past and it's not i'm not you know it's not it's not all just a rerun and being cognizant of those things and avoiding those pitfalls and mistakes is important but also just taking things for as as what they are i think is far more important yeah trying to see that as much as i can every day
0: well i'm exhausted again Same. (laughs) All right. Rate us, review us, subscribe, share. (laughs) Don't forget to
1: rate and subscribe after you've (laughs) exhausted your box of Kleenexes. Um, Or or mocked us for our vulnerabilities because you're scared of your own, son. Yes. Neil, I love you. Everyone who's listening to the show, we love you. And we mean that in a less uh a less superficial and gross way than you know we love you all yeah no we do we appreciate that people are going on this journey with us because we're not quite sure where it's leading but we are forcing ourselves through the ride (laughs) yeah (laughs) and so far it's been
0: rewarding uh props to garrett for always texting me encouragement when i'm not sure if i should be doing this So,
1: yeah, big ups to Garrett and Drew Pierce as our most supportive and communicative listeners, uh, (laughs) who are two of a small but important audience thus far. Yes. So,
0: we'll see you next week.
1: You've been Neil Tafflinger, and I've been Ryan J. Downing.